0: Hi, I'm Maynika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel, from The Globe and Mail. Ontario's election campaign has officially begun. The province's legislature was dissolved on Tuesday, and the parties are off to the races. The election is June 2nd.
1: Everybody is talking about the cost of living. People were talking about housing and the crisis that not just the GTA, but the whole province faces with sort of real estate prices just out of reach of the everyday person. People have been talking about that for years. That is gonna be a major focus.
0: Queen's Park reporter, Jeff Gray, is here to tell us what the parties are promising voters, who the major players are in this campaign, and who has the best shot at winning. This is The Decibel. Jeff, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. So we're talking on Tuesday morning, but we are expecting that on Wednesday, the Ontario election is going to kick off. So the premier, Doug Ford, is is running for re-election now. And being the incumbent can both help and hinder you because you are running on your record. How much support does Doug Ford have right now?
1: Well, if you look at the polls... Doug Ford and or the Progressive Conservatives depending on how you ask the question are in the mid 30s I think percentage wise generally but you you know you have to look at Doug Ford as a politician is a very polarizing figure and you know strategists with the other parties point out that he is well liked by a core group and he is detested by another group of Ontarians and so his popularity also has sort of waned waxed and waned if you go back to when he was first elected, and he was really seen as sort of a combative figure, but then the pandemic happens, and he gets uh, in front of the cameras every day, he has to reassure people, and he was sort of seen as uh, premier dad for a while. He was outraged about price gouging, and, and his numbers were very, very popular. It's a common phenomenon in a crisis, they call it rally round the flag. Things fell off for him, and now we're in a position where Do we see the old Doug Ford or do we see the new Doug Ford in the election? We'll have to see. uh, But it really did transform his image and the way he communicated. He became a lot less of a combative, divisive politician. It became more of a, well, like people said at the time, more like Premier Dad.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, the provincial liberals are hoping to beat Doug Ford in this election uh, with their leader, Stephen Del Duca. And this will be his first election. He does not have anywhere near the same name recognition that Doug Ford does. But people may have heard of this, this promise that he's been touting in the last week. This it has this very catchy name called Ride. What is Buckaride, Jeff? And what are the liberals trying to do with this?
1: Well, it was a smart little slogan. They're kind of playing on the old Doug Ford Pre-pandemic Doug Ford, they were obsessed with loosening the rules around alcohol in Ontario. When Doug Ford was elected in 2018, he promised that he would lower beer prices, a buck a beer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That didn't quite work out.
0: But that's where this buck a ride, they're kind that's of playing off of that so, slogan. So yeah.
1: Del Duca's brought this back. He's, I'm going to make transit cost a dollar across the province and call it buck a ride. So it's catchy. It's a little dig the trouble with buck a ride is, of course, people are pointing out that can transit systems cope with the flood of riders and the subsidy that you're going to offer? I mean, suffice to say, there's a lot of numbers that don't necessarily add up and people are talking about it, but people are talking about it. And that's what Stephen Del Duca needs. Uh, strategists with other parties think that when people see Stephen Del Duca, he's a bit of a policy wonk kind of a guy. He doesn't have the sort of folksy kind of charm that some people see in Doug Ford the other parties think he's a liability and they they spent some money running attack ads against him in the last few months even both parties the ndp and the pcs ran these ads that almost seemed indistinguishable from each other the targeting Duca which was interesting Steve- Del Duca wants you to forget the years of liberal scandals and corruption, but he worked side by side with Kathleen Wynne as their government sent our hydro bill skyrocketing and sold Hydro One while their insider friends got rich.
0: You might not remember his name,
1: but you will never forget his record as Kathleen Wynne's right-hand man, making big cuts and bad choices together. So
0: that's interesting. So Del Duca needs to kind of get his message out. But in some ways, even though people don't recognize him, that might be OK because they're not trying to draw attention to him as, as a leader. Is that that seems like a strange strategy in a way.
1: Well, I think they got to do both. They have they've today they've released a bunch of videos that show him with his family. What did you do at school today? I don't know. Nothing? You did nothing at school? I don't know that I believe that.
0: Our household is like many other households. <laughs> Two kids. Two kids. Two dogs, two very busy careers.
1: They're trying to introduce him as kind of an everyman suburban dad, which he is. He has two kids. Uh, They live in York region, north of Toronto. But the other guys are going to point out that he was in the government of Kathleen Wynne, Doug Ford's predecessor, the liberal government, that was almost wiped off the map and left with just uh, seven seats in the legislature after the 2018 election. Kathleen Wynne had become extremely unpopular amid rising costs of uh, power, energy. And anyway, they're going to try and remind people that, well, Stephen Del Duca was her transportation minister. He didn't do ride then. He raised, he, he was okay with raising fares back then. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's the sort of the play that they'll make.
0: So and as you say, coming out of the Kathleen Wynne era, so the previous premier, the Liberals did not do very well in that next election. They actually only won seven seats out of 124. So they're coming from a very low point here. The official opposition is actually the NDP in Ontario, led by Andrea Horvath. Uh, And she's going into her fourth election now, Jeff. Does Andrea Horvath and the NDP have a shot this time?
1: Well, if you talk to them, they say they do. And they point out look, they came very close. There were polls in 2018, actually, for a while showing them in the front. And they couldn't put it over the top. And there were a number of reasons for that. One of them being that the the Liberal Party, they actually ran ads targeting the NDP near the end of the campaign, even though their cause was lost. There are other people in Ontario that when you say NDP, and they're my age and older, they think of Bob Ray and his government in 1990 that... um, had a lot of problems, but anyway, so that that was part of it. The, the sort of the hangover. The people, we oh, the NDP. We don't want to have. Uh, they're going to make our taxes go up. They're going to spend too much money. They're not good managing the economy. These are the things that people throw out at at them. But they still did pretty well. And the problem I think now is, so now they have. They've done very well with fundraising. They have a great, well-funded campaign, and they've never spent the maximum that you're allowed to spend. They're going to spend that this time. They also think that Andrea is. Um, the only leader that doesn't have kind of the baggage that the two leaders have, uh, that she, she's more popular than the party in polls. So they feel pretty good, but they had a really probably their best shot at winning last time. Super unpopular premier, complete liberal collapse, and they couldn't get there. So this time you're going to have the liberals doing a little bit better, presumably. That hurts the NDP. You know, they end up splitting the vote and where does that leave them?
0: Okay. So we've talked about the PCs, the Progressive Conservatives, the Liberals, the NDP. What about the Green Party? Are they a force at all in Ontario? And, and what do we expect to see from them?
1: Well, they they hope to double their seats.
0: How from many seats one, do they have? From one to <laughs> okay.
1: two, I think, is their realistic, uh, <laughs> maybe even more, maybe they'll triple their seats. The Green Party, um, you know, federally kind of imploded. So they always want to make it clear that they're a separate animal, and they certainly are. The uh, leader... Mike Schreiner, who represents uh, the riding in Guelph, they've put out some pretty smart policies. He's a very articulate uh, guy, well liked as a politician, as a leader. You know, they've got some interesting candidates. Do they have a shot at some of these ridings? They think they might actually increase their seat total and actually have a caucus that can meet outside a phone booth. We'll see. But I don't think they're going to be a force.
0: We talked a little bit about transportation with the a ride promise from the Liberals. What are the progressive conservatives promising on the transportation front?
1: So they are structuring their whole campaign around this, really, which is uh, the slogan is get it done. They're the party of yes, they keep saying. They say yes to things. Doug Ford's bus is called the Yes Express. And what they are selling is they have revived a bunch of highway projects, but two in particular in the Toronto area. One which is called the 413, which goes back a number of years, was shelved by the previous liberals. It would arc around the western suburbs of the city of Toronto, very large highway, would cut right through the protected green belt, cost, nobody really knows, Six, ten billion $10 billion more probably. And the criticism is this thing, A, will do damage on its own to the environment, to lands that are supposed to be protected. B, will create uh, even more impetus than the government has already created with some of the changes it's made to revive the practice of sprawling suburbs, car-dependent communities. The other highway is north of Toronto. It's a smaller one called the Bradford Bypass. And it also has detractors, environmentalists worry about its impact on Lake Simcoe, uh, all the runoff that would go into the Lake Simcoe watershed and so on. And also the, the potential for developers to profit from building neighbourhoods around the new highway out there as well. So the, there's really a battle that's lining up there on the the government's pledging to build, to build highways. And partly they're not talking about transit as much because they already are committed to a whole bunch of transit projects uh, in the Toronto area mostly uh, that are going to cost billions, new subway lines and so on. And so they're really focusing on that key belt of voters which we call the 905 for the area code outside of Toronto. They decide elections, they're swing ridings between liberals and the PCs. And the PCs think that the highway is the way to get those voters.
0: OK, so transportation does seem to be a key issue in this election, then, for sure, with both the Liberals and the PCs making making big promises in this area. You mentioned, though, about these highways potentially going through Greenbelt areas, Jeff. Is climate and the environment a big issue in this election as well?
1: It may be. It may be. The Liberals came out today with their environment plan, which doesn't have that much in it. Uh the PCs, uh, Doug Ford came in wanting to rip up everything the previous government had done, ripped up the cap and trade system that they brought in to try and lower emissions. And that's what triggered the federal government imposing the carbon pricing, what Doug Ford calls a carbon tax on Ontario, which he fought in the courts and lost and so on. So they, they also ripped up, they actually shuttered windmill wind farms. Uh, you know, they, they shut down green energy projects and their, what remained of their environment plan was deemed to be, uh, basically, uh, fiction by the Auditor General. So they have since, though, found religion uh, with electric cars. They love the idea of building electric cars in Ontario. They've had a lot of success with this. There's a major battery plan in Windsor that they secured. Lots of government money has gone into this. They've worked with the federal government. Lots of auto plants are being retooled to build electric cars here. They also connected to mining for the stuff you need to get in the batteries up north. When you ask about the environment, that's what they say, basically.
0: Ford was just making an announcement earlier this week with Trudeau about this, wasn't he, about electric cars?
1: They were back out in Windsor with Stellantis, and the the plants in Brampton and Windsor are going to make electric vehicles. And that's the same company that's also got this major battery plant to make batteries for for the cars, too. So, So that's their push. But they don't talk about the fact that they killed the government subsidy if you want to buy an electric car. They're still much more expensive than regular cars. They got rid of that. And they don't want to talk about some of the other problems with their environment plan. And the, you know, there's, they weakened protections for endangered species to make it, you know, developers make it easier for them to build things. They did a whole litany of things that environmentalists have seized on. Uh, although, as I said, the liberals today aren't committing to returning to their cap and trade system or anything like that. They're, they're just talking about tightening the uh, rules that the Ford government has brought in for big emitters.
0: What about the NDP? What are, what are they doing on the environment file?
1: They, for, for a long time, already put out a huge uh, environmental plan. They call it sort of named after the similar approach in the United States. They call it the Green New Deal. And it has essentially everything under the sun you could imagine in there. So I expect that they'll make climate change uh, and the government's failures on that front are a big part of, of their campaign going forward.
0: Another big issue is affordability. Everything costs so much these days. Inflation is skyrocketing as well. So who's got a good pitch for making things more affordable for people in
1: Ontario? Well, they all love to talk about that. That just seems to be the theme of the campaign. Like Everybody is talking about the cost of living people were talking about housing and the crisis that not just the GTA, but the whole province faces with sort of real estate prices just out of reach of the everyday person. People have been talking about that for years. That is going to be a major focus, I think. The government talks a lot about how they've made tried to make it easier to build things and build faster and that they've got record housing starts this year, over 100,000. And I think all the parties are going to make similar noises about helping people to afford homes, trying to encourage more affordable housing, all that stuff. And so you, I think you do have uh, all the parties talking about almost every promise. They try and frame it as a way to save you money. Like even you mentioned, we were talking about buck a ride. Mm -hmm. The first sales point is we're going to make it more affordable for you, not we're going to improve transit. We're not, you know, save the environment. You know, everything goes back to this affordability issue.
0: And for people outside of Ontario, what might they be watching for in this election?
1: Well, I mean, one, one thing would be um, the extent to which COVID-19 plays a role in the political debate. We go from sort of a daily crisis for two years. And here we are in an election where I haven't heard them talk about that. I haven't heard them talk about the number of people who died in long-term care. None, none of the, even though the opposition was talking about this a lot when it was happening— and you know, is that a reflection of polls telling everybody that people are done with this thing? They don't want to talk about it anymore. Mm,
0: yeah. I also wonder though, just because of this the, the 905 region that we talked about a little bit, about how key that suburban area of Ontario is for an Ontario election, but also for a federal election. Like most federal parties know they need to win that 905 suburban Ontario region in order to win a federal election. Is this kind of something that we could look to as well to kind of see how that area votes in this election to maybe look ahead to the next time we go to the polls federally?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think people are looking at that. uh, You got that right, that that region is not just key to figuring out who's going to govern Ontario, but it's it can be where a federal election is decided too. And that region mostly stuck with Justin Trudeau in the last round. But Ontario is weird uh, and I don't know why this is, but if you look back, Ontarians tend to elect the other guys. So whoever is in power in Ottawa, the other guys win the next round in Ontario, and vice versa. So I, I can't imagine that anyone is doing this consciously. <laughs> so, so <laughs> yeah, why
0: wh- is that? Like an unconscious balance. I in haven't way? really what? ever
1: looked into. Yeah, it's like we don't we don't trust those guys. We're gonna elect these other guys to keep them in line, or I don't really understand how this can be true. But I think if you look through, that is generally what happens. So that maybe also is a way to read the tea leaves of what, um, what will happen in future elections. I mean, it's certainly the appealing to those voters in Toronto suburbs is a key, key component of any election campaign.
0: Jeff, I know it's very early in this process, but from where things stand now in this race, who looks set to win this election?
1: Well, I don't, you know, I don't, it never predicts anything, but the polls are very consistent showing Doug Ford winning. Uh, they definitely show him within reach of another majority. There's still a long campaign to go before he gets there, um, and a lot could happen. But you do have this dynamic of maybe the liberals resurge, and so you have a divided opposition, and, and that helps Doug Ford. So, I mean, if not a betting man, but the polls now suggest it's Doug Ford's race to lose, I think.
0: Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today.
1: Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm sure we'll check back in as this election continues.
1: <laughs> yes, it's, it's going to get interesting quickly.
0: That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our intern is Emily McPhail. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pacenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.